the optimal life. I'm wonderful. How are you, Nate? I'm doing great. So last night, I came home from work and was walking around the house trying to find things to do. And the kids were running around. We were getting ready for dinner. And I started getting an itch and an urge to pour myself a drink. And then I quickly remembered that we have a podcast today, you and I. <laughs> and I said to myself, no, you can't do that tonight. Because we're, we're talking with Sherry tomorrow. So thank you, Sherry, in advance from yesterday. Uh, you already helped me out, and you didn't even know you were helping me. That's awesome. I love it. <laughs> I would love to just dive into all this stuff because you're right. We do get that sensation, I call it, you know, the urge and like, yeah, let's pour a drink and make um, what my brain would say, make the night better. Why do we do that? What, what is, what's going on? Well, we're wired for pleasure for one, right? That's part of our, our primitive wiring. And of course, why wouldn't we want to make life easier, make my life more pleasurable? And when we get in those moments that are mundane or average or status quo, our brain is always going to look to, yeah, how can we make this more fun, uh, relax more, enjoy this experience more. And from that place, we can develop drinking as a habit. And that's where I specialize, is when it becomes a habit, it's not quite to the level of it's controlling your life, but you feel like life is just so much better with it than without it. Yeah, it just becomes almost habit and routine, like you're saying. So uh, this is a, a problem that affects millions of Americans, I take it. And it's not just, it's men and women. It's 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 a, probably a pretty fair divide between both men and women. I know you work strictly with women. Um, so. Take us back. How did you get involved in this? And tell us a little bit about your story. Yeah, so it was a major problem for me was my drinking. Um, um, trained as a pharmacist, had my own company, was wildly successful, didn't turn to alcohol because, you know, down and out or never hit bottom. I think that's a misnomer for a lot of people. We have to hit rock bottom before we're willing to change. My life was great. I just used it as a way to manage stress. You know, I tell myself, oh, it's been a stressful day. It's been a long day. This is how I'm going to unwind. Um, parenting is sometimes problematic and challenging. <laughs> and so this was a way to make that easier or to make those mundane tasks a little bit more fun. And it just grew. It grew. It was one glass of wine followed then by, okay, now I'm having two. Now I'm doing it most nights of the week. Now, wait a second. When I really think about it, you know, as the years go on, it's like I'm having it every night, mm -hmm. sometimes over a bottle. Um, the weekends, I just think, hey, it's the weekend. This is a license to drink. And I looked, you know, to alcohol to pump it up for me, you know, like let's make this such an amazing weekend and the way we'll do that is like craft cocktails fancy wines outings with friends around alcohol and it started I started to notice like over time that my life kind of revolved around it my friendships my relationships what I like to do I'd often call wine my friend I would say that um, it was my hobby <laughs> wine clubs wine tasting um, it just was this thing that I identified with. And so when I went to cut back and look at cutting back, 
I found it very challenging. I found that I would do things that um, I read online or read in blogs, you know, take 30 days abstinence. I do the dry Januaries. I'd even do sober Octobers, detoxes, cleanses, whatever you call them, whole 30 food programs where you want, you know, shrink your weight and shrink your drinking habit. But I always came back to the next month when I started drinking again, the same amount. It was like, okay, here I am back at a bottle of wine. Why didn't that last 30 days teach me anything? Why didn't it change my habit? Yes, it was great to cleanse my body for that period of time, but why do I still have the habit? Why is it still showing up? Mm. And so, you know, I think a lot of times we think just taking a break from something will change our relationship to it, right? Like we could break up with a boyfriend, but then we find we're back in the same relationship. Oh, such a good point. <laughs> right? Absolutely. You know, it's like the relationship we have to things is so much more than consuming it or not consuming it. And right. that's what nobody was talking about. They weren't, they were just talking about the behavior, but they weren't talking about all the things that drive the behavior. Like for women, it's, and maybe for men, but I know for women, it's not just the, it's not really a physical dependency. Like I wouldn't have the shakes if I gave up drinking for 30 days. I wouldn't have like much in terms of physical manifestations. Yes, I'd be a little cranky. Yes, it would have to like clear my system. And yes, I'd go through like very minor mood changes, but I wasn't like physically dependent. For women, it's a lot of mo emotional connection um, and it's our mental connection to it. It's like, this is our way to relax or this is our way to express our alter ego. Like I'm, <clears throat> for me, I'm normally an introvert. So having alcohol, I become more of this extroverted person that I want to be, but I don't know how to get there on my own. So for me, in a lot of women, it's the emotional connection uh, or I'm not happy where I am right now. How can I be happier? Right. So looking for that emotional um, way to more happiness. So that's where it became something that nobody was talking about. And then when I learned about all this, I was like, oh, this is the reason it's so hard to cut back. It's not the behavior itself that people you know, oftentimes we read these, you know, top five ways to cut back on drinking and it's all about the behavior, but drinking is just a symptom of something else going on. So once you look at what else is going on and then change that connection as alcohol is the solution, because the brain doesn't think alcohol is a problem. It thinks it's a solution. And so identifying what is the real problem and changing that and also working on that emotional mental connection to alcohol is really what's going to change the habit long term. Absolutely. So let's go back to some of that stuff because you mentioned being a parent of young children is yes. obviously a stressful thing. Is that is that one of the major things that caused you, you think, to get into this severe habit? Was that one of the Absol reasons? Absolutely. Um, I only have one child. Um, she is lovely, but at five years of age, um, we didn't know it, but she was diagnosed with Tourette syndrome. And she also has anxiety. And I, being a healthcare practitioner, I didn't see this. And we were disciplining her for her tics and her behaviors at the time. Um, she was first week of kindergarten. She's coming home with reports that, you know, she's not listening. She's not being quiet. We didn't understand it. 
And so I'm like, great, I have this kid that I did well in school. My husband did well in school. What's with this kid? (laughs) It's like, I don't know how to deal with this. This is not in my wheelhouse. And I felt ill-equipped. And I think for a lot of us, when we get frustrated or we don't understand something, it's just a quick thing to go to having a drink to kind of suppress all of that disappointment, all of that feeling of inadequacy, all of that feeling of, oh my gosh, this problem is too big for me to handle because that's exactly what I was experiencing. And I was embarrassed to experience that because I was in healthcare. I understood diseases and I would read so much on the internet once we discovered it and understood her syndrome, but um, it, it came with a lot of guilt and shame and so I think that was drinking was a way to suppress that and hide from that. Absolutely. And again, that could be in anything. We're, t- we're talking just a child, and I'm sorry with what you've had to go through. That, that's extremely challenging. But this could be anything, like you said, anything to suppress that negative feeling. It could be you hate your job. You, you, you have a bad relationship. You're in a toxic relationship. You're, you're unfulfilled day in and day out. You've got kids that you have to deal with. A, a plethora of things that are causing you this this pain. Maybe you're maybe you're single and you're tired of being single, but you don't like anybody. You can't find the right person. Whatever it is, that's a lot. That's that's causing you. At the end of the day, after whatever you've done that day, at the end of the day, to then just kind of uh, a, a drink. And like you said, then it's two drinks. It allows you to drift away a little bit to a different layer layer of consciousness. And I think that's that feeling that at least allows you to go, ah, oh, okay, life's not so bad. And, and you know, things are, oh, I could deal with this tonight. But what you're saying is that one drink turns to two, turns to three, turns to a bottle. And the next thing you know, you're going, when was the last time I went even one night without having a drink? Yes, yes. Right? And along with that, it becomes your coping mechanism. So because your body gets so used to having it around and your brain is just like, this is what I do, right? It's like, it's on autopilot. That's where I was finding. I'm just like, I didn't even notice when I went from two drinks to the bottle. I'm all of a sudden looking up going, wow, I finished the bottle. Or the next day I was like, I wake up because I might've, seriously, I might've blacked out or passed out. I just got so tired. I went to bed and I didn't even realize how many drinks I had. And then I wake up the next day and I just see the leftover stuff. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I went through a whole bottle and then some. Mm. Like I wasn't even aware I was doing that in the moment because it just became my automatic response at the end of the day. And then you would probably not sleep as well because alcohol doesn't allow you to sleep as well. Especially Correct. wine for me because the tannins or whatever in that wine keeps. I wake up at 2, 3 in the morning. I'm wide awake. I can't fall back to sleep. Yes. And then, yes. and then you're struggling the next, it becomes a vicious cycle. But, but, and, I've, and I know that this happened to you too, and I'm sure this happens with all, all your clients or a lot of them. You wake up in the morning going, I am not touching this crap tonight, right? Like you wake up and you're going, today is the day, this is it. I'm not doing this again. And you truly feel it and you truly believe it. And then as your workday continues on and gets into the afternoon and then you're back home, those thoughts and feelings start coming in again and then boom. You're right back to where you were the day before, correct? Oh my gosh, you explained it so well because you even said it at the end, those thoughts and those feelings come back in. Exactly, it's that mental and emotional connection. It's not a physical one. You didn't say, 
anything about alcohol. You just said the thoughts and the emotions come back in. And it's true. It's absolutely true. It, that's the connection that we have to it, right? And that's the root cause of the drinking. It's not the alcohol. It's what happens prior to pouring that glass. So well said. So what do people do that are that are dealing with this when you're working with them or someone that's listening right now? They're, they're in that cycle. They're in that loop. And I'll be the first to admit, I've been in that cycle and, and loop um, at times where it's like, holy cow, man, enough's enough. Like, you don't need the drink tonight. And then, you know, I'll prove to myself I can go a, a few days. And like, but but you, you can see how you can get caught in that cycle with life, responsibilities, COVID, kids, etc. So someone that's listening right now that's in that cycle, what are the, some of the things that they can do to start changing their mentality? Yeah, so the first and foremost where I start with all my clients is like just becoming aware and some people describe this as radical honesty like not wanting to hide from this anymore um and that is a big step right so it's not saying calling yourself an alcoholic calling yourself this no it's just like where am i at let's get brutally honest with where am i at right becoming very aware and then why am i turning to alcohol getting at the root cause is is key Now, I say root cause, but for most people, it's root causes. (laughs) So there could be quite a few factors, right? For for me, you know, my daughter was one feeling inadequate to help her, um, feeling that um, I'm just scared of how she's going to be treated by society. I've seen mean girls. I've seen, you know, what all that is and projecting that onto her, right? Just I had to work through that layer. And so then there was the other layer of like, oh, I think, you know, a drink to relax is is great, right? Okay, I can do that, but I don't want to do that every night. So getting awareness of what's causing it, getting to the root cause. And I found for me, I needed somebody to help me through that process. Because when you're in it, sometimes you just, you're not, you can't see it. It's like a fish in water. You, you just don't even know you're in the water. Um, so I needed help. Um, teasing that out for myself and that's where I got a coach and that's what led me to want to do this for other women I'm like this was dramatic life-changing because it just wasn't the behavior with the alcohol it just wasn't you know I have now a healthier relationship with alcohol it was getting at solving all these other issues and so now I was like oh I see now how I can show up better as a mom for my daughter, right? And having those strategies in place. So it's recognizing the root causes and then developing other tools, other strategies to help those problem areas, solve them if we can. And then like, we're not going to solve my daughter's Tourette, but we're going to solve my inadequacy on being able to handle it. Now I feel like, yeah, I've got anything. Throw it at me, world. We can do this just by equipping myself with tools. So it's the awareness, the root cause, and then developing coping mechanisms, if you want to call that. I like to say tools and strategies to handle whatever it is that life throws at you. What's something that somebody can think about in their head when they're tonight they're, or they're listening to this? They, ha- they want to have a drink, but they're fighting with themselves. Because that's mm-hmm. probably 
in my experiences, that's been probably the biggest challenge that I've had to deal with at times is uh-huh. you, you sit there and you think about it. Like, I, do I want to have a drink? Do I need to? And you're going back and forth. you got, like, the good angel on the right side of the, the devil on the yes. left side of the brain. You guys, you know. And um, and it's and it could drive you crazy, just that little internal conflict. So someone that's going through that right now, what is something, a quick, low-hanging fruit that they can think about to prevent them from picking up and pouring that drink? I like powerful thoughts. And I'm always working with my clients to find what thoughts work for them. For me, I like to think I'm in control. I don't need this. This is not going to make the problem go away. Like just the, for me, those are very powerful because they're truths. And they kind of get to that emotional, mental connection that I was having, right? I don't make it about the alcohol because it's not really about the alcohol. And the alcohol is just a vehicle to take us away from our own brain, right? (laughs) Or to take us away from the current emotion. Mm -hmm. So I like to think I'm showing up powerfully for me and I'm in control of me and my decisions. And I got this. I deserve better than this sometimes. I'll even say that. And you just tell yourself, be powerful. Don't don't succumb to the pressure. Don't succumb. I don't say pressure because it's it's not really. It's a it's a mental pressure. Do you know what I mean? And and when we say it's a pressure, it's almost like we're giving more power to the alcohol. <laughs> yeah, it's it's all completely self imposed. Exactly. Exactly. So the more my. The more I find that we think about the alcohol, the more we crave it. So if we think it's causing pressure, if we think it's delicious, if we call it our friend, we are only enforcing that current connection that we have to it. So to create a different connection, it has to be about us. It can't be about the alcohol because anything we focus on, right, expands. What your mind focuses on expands. So I like to think I'm focusing on where I have ability to control this, where I can show up for me. And I also think, okay, what's causing this? How else can I manage that? Mm. If it's my anger or my frustration, how else can I manage that without looking towards alcohol? And I don't put in that second part without looking towards alcohol. Because again, I don't want alcohol in my brain because then my brain's only going to think, oh, that's available option. So how else can I manage tonight or this emotion, right, that's driving the craving? You work with a lot of people, and again, it's all women that you're coaching. What, give us, <laughs> what, what are some, generally speaking, what are some of the main reasons that your clients and people that you see are, are struggling with this problem day in and day out? It's always that emotionally driven, right? So I can't handle my boredom, especially now with COVID. Like it's just skyrocketed the amount of drinking in women with COVID. I think it's up 70%. And the alcohol industry knows this. Um, So women are drinking more so during COVID than men. And I think that because, you know, the burden falls a lot on the women through the homeschooling period and all of that. Schedules being disrupted, um, and so it, it's all the, all the, diapers, the feelings, right? The, all, it's I'm bored or I'm overwhelmed or I don't know how to manage without it. Um, 
And so these feelings are what's driving, I just want to escape or mm-hmm. I just want to numb out. And they say, I just want to relax. However, when we dive into it, alcohol really doesn't relax us. What it does is it's more of a numbing agent and an escape. Yeah. Well, those are, that's a lot of diaper, you know, eventually with all these diaper changing and, and nowhere to go, these women are like, get me away from this reality. Mm-hmm. Right? It's just... And, you know, I find that a lot of women um, feel guilty because they're not enjoying what they perceive is their blessed life. Uh, So they have this good life. They have the kids they want. They have, you know, a lot of what they want. And I'm finding those women are struggling tremendously because they feel, well, it's not, it's just an over drinking habit. It's not that bad. Um, And then, so they justify the behavior because it's not that bad. And so then they have nowhere to turn to because, you know, AA is for, generally speaking, most people are more severe. If you come in and just say, hey, I have a bottle of wine habit a night, some people feel like, well, gosh, that doesn't sound dramatic compared to the people there and their stories, right? So they don't feel they have a place to turn to. They don't feel that they have a way to really solve this that's worked. Um, and really getting at that emotional connection to it's really going to liberate them from feeling they have to do it. And that's another thing. It's uh, My program is called Drink Less Lifestyle. It's not always about getting to none. And I think that's where a lot of people get hung up. They think if I have this habit and it's starting to control me, I have to go to complete abstinence. And I don't find that that's true. Right. Just tailoring it back and and knowing when and how to be around it and how to love your life when it's not part of the night, when it's not part of the weekend. That is the real work we need to do. Yeah, I agree with you. I think extremes in life, whether regardless of what it is, are typically not the success places you want to be. It's finding a balance. It's finding uh-huh. that happy medium. You mentioned uh, the AA meetings. So uh, this, is, this is something else because how do people know necessarily if they are an alcoholic or not? I think many people, as you point out, who do drink excessively are not considered alcoholics. So what is the difference between misuse versus addiction? Yeah, that is a gray area. So um, I'm not going to define that particularly, but what I will say is the statistics on the CDC's website say that over 90% of people who drink alcohol excessively are not alcoholics. And they use the word now, they don't use alcoholics, they say severe alcohol use syndrome or disorder and so that's 90% are just excessively drinking that don't meet the diagnostic criteria for alcoholic so if we're using the old term so 90% that's most people are misusing alcohol Mm -hmm. or using it as a crutch right where they haven't developed the quote physical dependency part and that's where I think addiction comes in is now we're physically dependent we need medical care to taper us down to give us you know benzodiazepines and the standard care of treatment in order to help the person you know not have life-threatening consequences from giving it up right right yeah it's a a person that that can't have a drink or just a bottle of wine or a glass of wine it's the person that drinks until they're completely gone every single night blacked out 
Yeah. Right. And and they look forward to it from the minute they wake up too, right? That's more of a physical dependency. Like they feel their body needs it to get through the day. Mm. That's not most people. Most people don't think about it until the afternoon hours, the evening hours. And it's really just there as an emotional crutch or a mental crutch that they just have a hang up on. And we just have to change the brain's patterning around that and develop other modalities for relaxation, for stress management, you know, things that you feel good about doing. And then you just leave, for me, I just leave alcohol to when I can purely enjoy it, not to quote, need it. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. So now I have an occasional relationship with it, right? It's not my daily go-to. I don't even do it every weekend, right? It, for me, it's just purely occasional. It's mostly social. Um, and I'm always in control of it. Like I don't go to blackouts anymore. I've developed patterns in my life that that doesn't happen. You mentioned that the women that are sitting around and they have this, what looks to be a beautiful lifestyle and they're still unfulfilled and they're bored and they're just trying to get through the days and maybe they're ashamed that they're feeling this way but they're they're using alcohol as this numbing agent. Um, I wonder, and maybe you, you could shed some light into this, Sherry, is how much of that is being influenced by our social media now? Because they're sitting around and they're looking at everyone else's glamorous life and they've got little ones at home that are screaming and crying and they go online and they see a picture of their friend out of town or at a nice dinner and they're sitting there going, I hate my life. I, I'm wondering how much of that comparison that we're constantly exposed to now with Instagram and everything else is playing a uh, increased role in, in this problem. I'm sure it is. And I think in addition to all the things you said, it's also the marketing. The marketing by the alcohol industry has gotten extremely clever. I mean, if you look at going anywhere on vacation, it's <laughs> there's always glasses of wine and champagne, you know, on a cruise. It's the older couple, um, country club memberships, like all of the marketing around alcohol is showing us that this is the way to have fun. This is the way to celebrate, right? We always put alcohol in the picture. Yeah. And so I was at uh, a grocery store. I don't want to say the, the name, but they had over their wine aisle, moms, get your back to school supplies here. <laughs> so <laughs> we, we're just inundated that alcohol is the way to have fun. Alcohol means joy, pleasure. It means connection. And that's what the brain is learning. And honestly, I even asked the women I'm working with, I'm like, okay, when you have more than three or four drinks, do you feel more connected to the people around you? And the answer is always no. They're not even, they're not even with the current conversation, right? They just think they're having fun and connecting, but they're really not. Right. It's... Now, one or two, yes, that may be a reason to come together. And a we and a reason to be with other people, just like food brings us together. Now we use alcohol more so. Happy hours, you know, uh, cul-de-sac parties. Now that we, you know, some people don't want to be in the house, and we're just out of the house, but yet we still want to connect with others. It's just a tool to connect, but it doesn't mean we have to over and vibe. Yeah, and that's where you come in, right? Because, like you said, it's okay to enjoy. Yeah. So, so when somebody is in that enjoy mode, and what are some of the things that you're helping them with to say, okay, here's this is your little, this is your friendly zone. 
but don't start going over here because now you're starting to get into that excess zone. What what are some of the tools that you're giving them while they're in the moment? Yeah, to stay present with their with their alcohol, right? Not to um, autopilot. You have to get off autopilot. That's where I was. I just wasn't looking. I was I was letting people just top me off. I was just taking any drink that was handed to me. I wasn't even consciously aware. I was I was saying yes to the next drink. So it's about bringing in that conscious awareness of like, okay, somebody just handed me a drink. Do I really want this drink? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, just stopping and taking that pause and asking that question is is a lot. And then you also learn if the answer is yes, I always like to say, okay, why? Why do I want this drink? Do I think the party will be more fun? Do I think I need it to relax more? Am I worried about people's perception of me? Because now if it's that, then we have to go down the, I think we should go and explore that because is there a bit of social anxiety here? And if so, then great. Now we know one of the drivers of the drinking and how else can we manage that social anxiety that doesn't require gobs and gobs of alcohol right we can manage it with one glass but then let's look at other strategies to manage what else is going on so it's that awareness asking yourself what's driving the desire and then we put in specific strategies based on what is the driver very interesting. So it's the conscious awareness, the mindfulness. You have to be present as you're literally taking that drink. You have to you have to stop it and almost analyze it sounds like the different reasons that why does this next drink make sense? I mean, it's very interesting. You have to almost <laughs> it, it, it's 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 just being present in that moment instead of like you said letting it just drift and flowing and I'll drink until I can't drink any longer. Yeah. I mean, I think we do that naturally with other parts of our life, right? If somebody uh, wants to date us, we are constantly thinking, do I want to date him? Do I, you know, want to get more intimate with him? Like we have these questions in our mind when it comes to other activities. Um, If somebody offers us a cupcake, we might be like, okay, do I, am I hungry? Do I want sugar in my body? You know, we have those uh, that conditioning built into us but for a lot of us we lose it when over drinking becomes something we just do it becomes part of your identity and it becomes like oh I'm not even thinking about it anymore it's on autopilot we just have to stop and take it off autopilot and that we do that with so many other things in our life oh somebody's calling me on the phone should I answer or should I not we, we're always pausing and asking a question for most of our behaviors and I find we lost that ability around alcohol because of all the marketing because our brain thinks it's fine and fun and we should do it and sometimes we even think oh one more won't hurt I've had girlfriends tell me that right. no one more won't hurt go ahead and it's like no one more could hurt <laughs> Well, I think it's also just that that stimulation factor too. Once you get going, and you're an hour or two into drinking, it's like okay, it's you're feeling good. You feel like you're totally fine in that moment. Like I'm not too drunk. I'm I'm fine. I've only had three or four drinks. Next thing you know, it, it just keeps going. I I want. It's like that that dopamine is is on, on steroids while you're having these drinks, and it's yes. and, and it's and it's playing on itself and you don't want that dopamine feeling to go away so you keep going you keep going next thing you know you wake up you go what happened last night absolutely and that's also um the physiological effects 
of alcohol on the brain. We know that it inhibits, right? The motor system and it, it works on the brain as an inhibitor. So it's going to allow us to disconnect from ourselves, which makes being aware so much more important and more challenging as the drinking continues. Yes, it does. And, so- and it's not a, and people are so excited to hear that because they think, oh, it's not me that's the problem, right? It, it's this chemical that's working on my brain that makes this hard for everybody. Yeah, they justify it that way. This is, this happens, this could happen to everybody else, so it's okay for mm-hmm. it to happen to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and when I understood the pharmacology of it more and I, I dove into that more and the habit creation on the brain and all of that, it made so much more sense. And so for me, it started to shed some of that shame because as a healthcare worker, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I shouldn't have this problem. This shouldn't be happening to me. Somehow, because of my training, I should know better and not have allowed this to occur. And I think for a lot of women, I mean, I work with nurses, I work with tons of healthcare workers and non-healthcare workers, and, you know, the shame of like, oh, I saw this happening and I I didn't do anything about it keeps them stuck in that cycle. Yeah, it's it's incredibly dynamic. So uh, as we're getting closer to finishing off here, uh, you talked about how you ended up having a coach. Take us through some of the early, the first few weeks, few months of your transition with this coach and tell us a little bit how it was changing the way you thought, feel, and acted, uh, the changes to your brain, the neuroplasticity. How, how, what was happening to you? Um, the, at first, you know, it's like, okay, I want this change. And that's what led to hiring her which felt amazing because it's like, oh my gosh, she's going to help me figure this out because doing it on my own for eight plus years, I wasn't getting anywhere. And so that was huge, right? Just knowing that, okay, somebody has tools that could help me felt so good. What was the first week, Sherry, when you first started with her, what was your first week experience like before you go on? Yeah, it was, I'm going to do everything she tells me because I really want this solved. And when I heard this emotional mental connection, I'm like, that's exactly it. It's not physical for me. It is emotional and a a mental connection. It's thinking I need it. It's thinking that um, I need it to make my life better. And I don't know what to do if I don't have it. I don't know how to act. I don't know. So having her help me navigate social situations, parenting at home, and what else I could be doing, um, that worked for me. Right. So she would throw out things and she's like, oh, well, this, what about this? What about this? I'm like, well, that one will work. Uh, Not that one. Yeah. So just having that tailored approach and knowing that um, she's walked this path before um, and knowing what obstacles to look for was incredibly helpful. And then it sped up my learning process. It's like, oh, she's learned this and that from others and so not to do it this way not to do it that way and here's what does help and it was probably the first time in maybe ever in your life that there was someone holding you accountable which had to feel good in a way I think so I don't generally need people to hold me accountable so um, some people do I'm I'm very driven I'm you know, I, I love that about myself. Mm -hmm. Um, but it is nice to know that somebody has, uh, tools and skills to get you to where you want to go and that they are individualized for 
your lifestyle, right? So for me, it was never about giving it up. She had given up alcohol, but she didn't come with that judgment and that agenda for me. And that's why I don't come with judgment or an agenda for my clients. It's like, tell me where you want to go and we are going to create the way to get there. And so in those prior, then those following weeks and months, did you notice a change in your emotional state? Did you notice a change in your mental, your physical? What, what was happening? Yes, just by cutting back, you start to feel better. Um, but I, I also, what starts to feel bad is like, okay, if I'm not this nightly drinker, and if I'm not this person that goes to a party and bellies up to the bar and starts ordering beverages for all my friends, <laughs> who am I? So it was it was felt so good physically. It felt so good um, mentally. But emotionally, I was still stuck like, okay, this was my old identity. Help me transition to the new one. So there's a bit of mm. uncomfortableness because you're shedding your past and you're developing this new identity around alcohol. And she's helped me like clarify how to think about it in a way that doesn't feel like you're being deprived or in a way that you have FOMO, you know, going to the bar and everybody's ordering the third round. And if you're not partaking, there might be some of this fear of missing out and how to deal with that. So I found learning that process was super, super helpful because these aren't things that I would have thought about on my own. Absolutely. And how would you... Uh, describe that new identity what what was your new identity through the transition I loved I, I you know I'm into health as a pharmacist I just love health all around so for me it was like I just want a healthy relationship with alcohol and yes we are all going to define that a little differently some people would say it's you know nothing would be the healthiest of relationships that's not what I wanted I wanted to be someone who can take it or leave it and so I just kept thinking I'm going to become that woman who has a healthy relationship with alcohol and for me that means I could be around it and not be pulled to it Mm. and still have a good time or I may choose on this occasion to imbibe and it doesn't mean it's a better party, it's a better experience. It just means I get to have some and enjoy it. Yeah, no more of the uh, devil and and angel fighting in in your head. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. And I've also demoralized it where it doesn't make me, if I drink, I'm a bad person. If I don't drink, I'm a good person. And that is huge because I know for a long time, if I even had a drop of alcohol or just one glass, I'd be like, oh, I still drank last night. And so I always had this punitive negative response to any type of drinking, even if I didn't get drunk, even if there was no negative consequences, even if I slept good, I'd still feel bad about, well, I still had a glass and I still drank. Right. And so you you basically told yourself you lost the battle, but what you're saying now is that that's not, that's not fair to do to yourself. That's, it's okay. You had a drink, you enjoyed your night. Everything was fine. It's part of life. And and it's it's okay. Exactly, and that's where I wanted to be, but even when I was there, I still had feelings of guilt and shame because I didn't shed that old identity. Mm. I didn't clean up a lot of the mental patterning I still had around alcohol. Fascinating stuff, and I think this is a a huge, huge area that people need help and guidance in, and I'm sure you're probably busier than ever and will continue to be because you're making such an impact, positive impact on women's lives. Um, where can we find your uh, social media stuff? And tell us a little bit, too, about your podcast. 
Yes, absolutely. So you can find me. Um, I have a podcast called Drink Less Lifestyle. Comes out every Wednesday, and just talking about this transition from somebody who's an overdrinker to somebody who now has control of it, and that can mean just a little or even none. Um, and you can also check out my website. I have a ton of free sources on there, resources for you, um, webinars and um, other handouts so you can better understand this habit. And you can find that at drinklesslifestyle.com. And on Instagram, I am Dr. Sherry Price if you want to follow me there. Beautiful. And we'll make sure we link all this up in the show notes. It's the Drink Less Lifestyle program. You guys could check her out. Everything will be linked. If you want to learn more about Sherry and uh, the services she offers. Hey, uh, like I said, thank you so much. This is a really tremendous insight, and I think we will touch at least one or two lives today at the very least. I, I really appreciate it. Thank you, Nate. Thank you for this opportunity.